While we were all enjoying our Thanksgiving dinners with friends and family, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was getting stabbed nearly to death in prison by another inmate. Chauvin is in prison because our cowardly justice system sacrificed him to the mob as a scapegoat for the death of a career criminal whose death was actually caused primarily by his resisting arrest after having ingested a fatal dose of fentanyl. Chauvin is currently serving 20 years in prison for second-degree murder, a crime that no reasonable person actually thinks that he committed. He's also serving another simultaneous 20-year sentence for civil rights violations, whatever that means. In fact, though, he is in prison because, over the past half century, our elite institutions have adopted the racially-tinged liberationist ideology of avowed Marxists such as Angela Davis, Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and terrorists such as Huey Newton and Eldridge Cleaver, whose black liberation movement was so lazily rebranded in recent years that they even kept the same initialism, BLM. Chauvin spends much of his time in solitary confinement, which is liable to drive him insane if he isn't insane already. But the solitary confinement is for his own safety, and he clearly isn't spending enough time there, as the weekend's attack shows. Meanwhile, the rest of us, even those of us who vocally opposed BLM in those early days, when it was unfashionable, even on the right, when squishes like Mitt Romney were marching with the terror-supporting radicals, even many of us have forgotten about Officer Chauvin. And that will likely remain the case until another inmate succeeds at murdering him. We will forget about him because, one, our attention spans are short, but two, more so, we will forget about him because the reality of the injustice, the reality that we, in our supposedly exemplary nation of laws, sacrificed a man to the mob, and that reality is just too much to bear. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Today's your last shot at the best deal of the year. Get 50, 5-0% off Daily Wire Plus annual memberships. Now is the time to join for ad-free, uncensored content from all of your favorite hosts. The best deal of the year ends today. Get it now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. AI robots are taking all of our jobs. Pretty soon, when you subscribe to The Daily Wire, you will be able to see a robot that looks just like me uh, recite talking points that it itself wrote while I can go off and pursue my real passion, which is selling cigars. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, I know already what's happening. I know already at the left-wing groups whose job it is to watch our shows and fact-check us and then try to get us all fired, uh, which is a joke's on them because we're going to be replaced by robots in about six months, so good luck firing us. But I know what they're doing right now. They're sitting there and they're saying, Michael Knowles, he just spread false information. We're going to write to NewsGuard. We're going to write to all of the left-wing groups that partner with the social media companies to curtail the amount of information that can go around the public square. We're going to write to them and say, you got to take this show off the air. It's misinformation. Why? Because this has already been fact-checked. Here's what the fact 
checks say. Uh, This is from the Associated Press. Claim. A new autopsy report for George Floyd has been released in 2023, revealing he died from a drug overdose, not from the actions of arresting Minneapolis police officers. I want to put a pause right here. That is not actually the claim that I or many other conservatives are making with regard to George Floyd and Officer Chauvin. Note, we're not saying it necessarily was a new autopsy report released in 2023. We're not necessarily saying that the police officers had absolutely nothing to do with the circumstances of his death. This is what they do, the libs, is they lie by exaggerating or outright lying about the points that we're making and mix it in with the true points that we're making. The true point being that George Floyd was not killed primarily. He did not die primarily from Officer Chauvin and his knee or whatever. Here's how the AP assesses that supposed claim. False. Social media users are sharing a page from the 20-page autopsy report that was publicly released by the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office in full on June 3rd, 2020. It has not been changed since. Okay, who cares? What's the original say? While the page says that George Floyd had fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system and did not have life-threatening injuries... The full report concludes that Floyd died from cardiopulmonary arrest, not an overdose. Hold on, wait, what? Hold on. So you're admitting, the AP, the libs, are admitting here that the autopsy, the original autopsy, says that Floyd had fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system. A lethal dose of fentanyl, by the way. I noticed the AP fact check leaves that one out. A lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. The AP further admits that the autopsy says that George Floyd did not have any life-threatening injuries. But the full report concludes that Floyd died from cardiopulmonary arrest. Not an overdose. Hold on, what, what? They took not an overdose out of the quotation marks. So the quote from the autopsy is that he died from cardiopulmonary arrest. None of us disputes that. What is cardiopulmonary arrest? His heart and his lungs stopped. That's what that means. It's a fancy way of saying that. Yeah, his heart and his lungs stopped. That's true. Now, let me ask you, what... What you would conclude as a reasonable person, if you know that Officer Chauvin's knee did not cause any life-threatening injuries to George Floyd's body, if you know that George Floyd had a lethal dose of an especially lethal drug in his system, then what would you say is most likely to be the primary cause of his heart and lungs stopping? Would you say that The primary cause would be a police officer restraining him, or would you say the primary cause would be his resisting arrest for a very long time and the extremely lethal dose of drugs in his body? What, just, you're a reasonable person. What would you say is the most likely primary cause of his death? It's not complicated at all. They go on, I mean, this this is so silly. This, This fact check goes on. They say, no, well, look, it just doesn't. There's nothing new here. It just doesn't. They don't say, just because there was no evidence of life-threatening injuries on the body, it doesn't mean that, you know, like he, that Chauvin isn't totally responsible. And yeah, I mean, that's actually what they actually say that there. They say, the fact that no major bruising or damage to the muscles, cartilage, or bones in the neck was found, as indicated under the phrase, no life-threatening injuries identified in the autopsy, does not mean that asphyxia did not occur, only that there are no signs of it on the body. Okay, hey, it doesn't mean that our preconceived narrative 
that has been disproven time and time again at every, it doesn't mean that it's ultimately not true. It just means there's no sign of it being true. That's what they're saying. And as a result of this, it's, it's really distressing because I'm not, I'm not I, I don't, I don't follow police regulations all that closely. I don't know the ins and outs of the Minneapolis police code book, but I do have a, a modicum of common sense. And it seems clear to me, the reason that Derek Chauvin is in prison for murder, for murder, for goodness sakes, is because he was the scapegoat and because our cowardly criminal justice system was afraid of the mob. That's clearly it. And a consequence of that is you've discouraged any sensible person from joining the police force anywhere in the, certainly anywhere in a blue state. You join the police force because you want to serve your, your community and you're willing to take a job that's very difficult, that doesn't pay very well. It's very dangerous and you're willing to do that to serve your community. That's a noble thing to do. And, and then you find out that if you, if you transgress the left-wing mob, you're going to be potentially thrown in prison and then maybe stabbed to death in prison because the media dishonestly portrayed you as a, a racist or a thisist or a thatist or an otherwise evil person? Why would you do it? So as a consequence of this, not only are we seeing injustice being faced by one man in particular, Derek Chauvin, who very likely will just be killed in prison, but a, a political consequence for all of us is you're going to see a further breakdown of law and order because the liberal establishment is going to cynically but conveniently, tactically, take the side of criminals over the side of law and order, over the side of those who protect the community. And so crime rights are going to skyrocket, property crimes are going to skyrocket, violent crimes are going to skyrocket, and our political order is going to continue to fray. Not great, not great. Not just for anyone involved. Speaking of the breakdown of law and order and former police officers, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he's a former cop, he has just been accused of sexually assaulting a woman 30 years ago. Seems like a meaningful detail there. He's accused of sexually assaulting a woman. I obviously believe we should take all such accusations seriously. But hold on, 30 years ago, and now the woman is suing him for $5 million? Wow. Boy, did she just fall into a coma for 30 years. She forgot that this terrible crime occurred. She didn't, she didn't ask for justice 30 years ago. Then as Eric Adams started to rise through the political ranks, she never decided to bring any charge against him, never decided to sue him in any sort of civil court. Then he gets elected mayor of New York City years ago at this point. Oh no, even then we're not going to, I'm not interested. This man raped me, but I'm not, I'm not going to even mention it to anyone. And then There's a New York City law, a New York law, it's called the Adult Survivors Act, which is about to expire that says that essentially you can sue someone for sexual crimes without any statute of limitations. And all of a sudden, this woman who says Eric Adams sexually assaulted her in 93, she's seeking $5 million. At the time, Adams was a cop. Uh, The accuser was also a city worker, according to the New York Post. What's my take on this? My take on this is Eric Adams seriously needs to get the lesson to stop criticizing mass migration. You know, this guy, he didn't figure it out. He thought that because he was a Democrat, a liberal Democrat, that he was protected. 
No one was going to do to Eric Adams what they did to, say, Donald Trump. They're not, they're not going to use the criminal justice system to railroad this guy as a political persecution. No, no way. Well, except Eric Adams has broken from the Democratic Party in a major way in recent months on the issue of mass migration. And he's come out and he said, this migrant crisis is going to destroy New York City if Joe Biden doesn't do something about it. Eric Adams was criticizing not just the policy broadly. He was criticizing the White House. He was criticizing the people who were supposed to be enforcing the law. And then what happened? Then all of a sudden, the feds start investigating Eric Adams because he took a donation from a guy who was on the board of a thing that involved a Turkish guy or something. We're talking about a very small political donation on top of that. The minute I saw that, I said, oh, he better, he better stop criticizing mass migration. And at a broader level, he better stop criticizing the powers that be. That's what this is really about. The powers that be and one of their most cherished policies, namely open borders. So he starts to get investigated. What happens? Because I don't want to sound like I'm a conspiracy theory tinfoil hat guy, but days, not even, it might have been one or two days after this investigation was announced, Eric Adams says he's canceling a meeting at the White House to discuss the migration crisis. You can read about that in the mainstream press. So you don't need to make 10,000 leaps of logic. It was right there. Mass migration is destroying America. It's destroying New York City in particular. Joe Biden's got to stop this. I'm going to have a meeting with the White House to stop mass migration. Eric Adams getting investigated by the feds five seconds later. Okay, I'm not going to have my meeting anymore. <laughs> I'm not, I'll cut it out. And then he gets hit with this re- obviously ridiculous sexual assault uh, 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 lawsuit. Clearly a money grab. Adams, for his part, is saying, I've never met this woman. If I did ever meet this woman, I certainly have no memory of it. I, I do believe, I'll break with some right-wingers who dismiss all of these suits out of hand. I do think some of them are legit. I am inclined to, to uh, believe women when they make these claims. I'm not inclined to believe women when they make these claims 30 years later, when they stand to make $5 million, and when we're living in, a, in, a, in an age where men are presumed guilty until proven innocent. Now, speaking of Democrat politicians, Joe Biden has a novel theory on how war broke out in the Middle East. As you know, we know the timeline. October 7th, Hamas leads a pogrom against Jews in Israel, takes a bunch of hostages, kills well over a thousand civilians, rapes, kills, pillages, and burns. Horrific terror attack. Then the state of Israel responds by bombing Gaza, by in, in, uh, leading a ground invasion into Gaza, Then there's a ceasefire. The ceasefire seems to be going okay as of the airing of this show today. Hamas releasing some of the hostages in exchange for a temporary ceasefire from Israel. Joe Biden says, no, no. What that timeline is missing is why Hamas had the terror attack in the first place. And the reason is, you see, no one knows this. Joe Biden was about to bring peace to the Middle East. I cannot prove what I'm about to say, but I believe one of the reasons why Hamas struck when they did was they knew that I was working very closely with the Saudis and others in the region to bring peace to the region by having recognition of Israel and Israel's right to exist. You may recall when we did the G20 about a little while ago, I was able to get a resolution, a a statement passed through there saying we're going to build a railroad from Riyadh all the way through the Middle East into 
into Saudi Arabia, Israel, et cetera, and all the way up to Europe. Not the, not the railroad, but it would be an underground pipeline and then railroad. The but can you pause it right there for a second? Hold on. Before he goes on, I just want to make clear. He says he was going to build a railroad from Riyadh all the way to Saudi Arabia. It, isn't Riyadh, is that how, where would that, wouldn't that railroad just be kind of like a circular? It'd be, he doesn't, I think he's a little, well, I think we all know. Joe Biden is a little bit confused as to how the geopolitics of the Middle East works. Keep going. Is there's overwhelming interest, and I think most Arab nations know it, in coordinating with one another to change the dynamic in their region for longer-term peace. And uh, that is uh, what I'm going to continue to work on. Okay, now people are, they're not going to believe it. They're not going to know, but actually I was about to bring peace to the Middle East. That's why people aren't going to believe it, but that's what, what it was. That's the ticket. Yeah, that's the ticket. Donald Trump, the, the, the last president, brought peace to the Middle East. There were no new Middle Eastern wars dragging the United States into further conflict that broke out under his watch. Actually, what they got was a peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Actually, what they got was the Abraham Accords. Actually, what they got was relative peace in the Middle East. Actually, what they got was ISIS was eliminated. Actually, what they got was Iran was on the he- its heels. Actually, what they got was Syria was on its heels. Actually, what they got was everyone stayed real quiet and real cautious because no one knew what Trump was going to do. Was Trump the biggest dove ever, didn't want to be involved in any wars, or was Trump the craziest war hawk in the world who was going to drop the Moab and assassinate top generals left and right? He was both. <laughs> That's, was, was Donald Trump the leader of the anti-war party, an opponent of the uniparty in Washington, D.C., those warmongering neoconservatives? Donald Trump was going to be a new breath of fresh air. Donald Trump, a Republican, attacking George W. Bush for starting wars in the Middle East. Donald Trump saying, I want no new wars. Was he going to be that guy? Or was Donald Trump going to be the guy who appointed John Bolton as his national security advisor, John Bolton, who has wanted to bomb Iran since he was in the womb? Who was Donald Trump? He was both. He was unpredictable. And his foreign policy led to relative peace in the Middle East. Joe Biden has has led to an outbreak of war all over the place in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East. Worst outbreaks of war in either of those places in a long time. And, And so how does Biden explain it? Biden, I was just in New York over the weekend. Biden is like, I think Family Guy made this point once. Biden is like an Italian guy in a hypothetical situation. Now, listen here. You know, listen, if I had been there, if I had been there in the situation you're describing, oh, what I would have done. You wouldn't believe what I would have done. I would have been done this, that, and the other thing. But it's always hypothetical. What did you do? <laughs> it has to be hypothetical for Biden because he's failed. It doesn't have to be hypothetical for Trump because he did it. Yes, but uh, listen here, fellas. I can't do a I can't do a New York Italian Joe Biden. Listen, if I people aren't going to believe it, but what I would have done, what I come on Jack, what I would have what I would have done had I been able to do the thing that I wanted to do in the I would have brought total peace in the Middle East. Listen, listen Jack, if my aunt had testicles, she'd have been my uncle. You know, listen here, pal, if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a wagon. All right, Jack. Exactly, exactly. In the hypothetical world in which the premises of the left are correct, then things would work out peachy. 
But the world is different from the way the libs believe the world is. And that's why the conservative policy works a lot better. This is it. It's your final day to save on the best deals of the year. Daily Wire Plus annual memberships are 50, 50% off. Do not miss this opportunity to join at the lowest price of the year. Daily Wire Plus gives you unlimited access to all of the exclusive ad-free, uncensored content from all of us, along with on-demand access to the groundbreaking entertainment and eye-opening documentaries that are reshaping the cultural landscape. Plus, your Daily Wire Plus membership unlocks the Daily Wire's new kids entertainment app, Bent Key. The absolute best thing I can say to you as a parent about Bent Key is I let my kids watch it. Get up to 40, 40% off all Jeremy's Razor's products. Don't miss out on all of the deals inside the Daily Wire Black Friday gift guide. Shop the deals now at dailywire.com slash Black Friday. Speaking of Joe Biden and holy wars, I guess, Joe Biden gave a Thanksgiving proclamation this year, as the presidents usually do, but he left an important person out of it. Uh, That would be God. On Thanksgiving, Joe Biden, in his proclamation, did not give thanks to the person to whom the thanks is supposed to be given in the very holiday of Thanksgiving. He forgot the big guy. When the Thanksgiving holiday was formally instituted, that was 1863, it was done by Abraham Lincoln. There there were obviously many other uh, official and semi-official observances of Thanksgiving prior to Lincoln, but Lincoln inaugurates the... the, um, holiday as we know it today. And what does Lincoln say? He says, we're going to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November, quote, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent father who dwelleth in the heavens. Even during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln gives thanks to God. He says, no human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the most high God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. Obviously, uh, George Washington recognizes Thanksgiving. Obviously, Thanksgiving goes all the way back to the pilgrims who came over to this country on the Mayflower, uh, the puffing of which is a wonderful way to observe the Thanksgiving holiday and every day of the year. But I digress. By my count, only two presidents in American history ever have given a Thanksgiving proclamation that omitted God to whom we owe thanks. That would be Joe Biden and Barack Obama. They're the only two. What does this mean? Does this mean that it's just the Democrats have always been the party against God? Well, implicitly perhaps, but they at least would pay lip service to God. Jimmy Carter certainly acknowledged God in his Thanksgiving proclamations. Bill Clinton acknowledged God in his Thanksgiving proclamations. This is a new thing for Democrat presidents. It's Obama and then Biden, Biden being Barack Obama's third term. What does that mean? It means that liberalism today is anti-Christian. You might say liberalism was always anti-Christian. That's my view. I think that liberalism from the very, very beginning marked a rebellion against God and against God's order of things and against the Christian religion. I think this is beautifully summed up in John Milton's Paradise Lost, when Satan is down in hell and he says, well, it's better to serve, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. The mind is its own place and can make a hell of heaven and heaven a hell. That that principle of total self-sovereignty, self-ownership, which 
underlies so much of liberalism, classical and modern, is, I think, ultimately quite anti-Christian, anti-God, satanic even. Yeah, I think that. But a lot of people don't think that. A lot of people like liberalism, where they say, I like the old liberalism, but I don't like the new liberalism. I like the classical. I don't like new Coke. I like classic Coke. You know, I like classic liberalism, not new, but whatever. Okay, some people like that. At the very least, you have got to acknowledge now that liberalism today, and one suspects into the future, is anti-God. And the reason it's anti-God doesn't require a PhD in theology, doesn't require any delving through any dark conspiracy theories. It's because liberalism replaces God with a new God, and that new God is the God of self, the ability to do whatever we want. It replaces a political order that that views our role as one of uh, gratitude and loyalty and obligation to our family, to our community, to our country, and ultimately to our God. A political order of humility that recognizes our own fallenness and brokenness and need of one another and ultimately need of God and our our, uh, insufficiency to reconstruct the world, the fact that we were not there when God laid the, the foundations of the earth and that we are bound by the moral order. It replaces that political order with one that's, that says, well, you can do whatever you want. You're, you're primarily not a creature with loyalty and humility and obligation, but one that uh, is entitled to all sorts of rights, new rights that you never even conceived of before. Whatever rights you can name, you're, you are perfect just as you are. You, you ought to celebrate not humility, but pride. We ought to have whole parades for pride, actually. Once considered the queen of all vice, now it's going to be the the vice of all queens, as Andrew Clavin says. Now we're going to make that the highest virtue. That's what liberalism is today. Maybe that's kind of what liberalism always was. I don't know. But it's certainly what it is today. Don't take my word for it. Just look at the actions of the last two Democrat presidents. Speaking of Thanksgiving, it goes even deeper. Not only do we cut God out of Thanksgiving now, we cut Thanksgiving out of Thanksgiving. Loudoun County Schools, this is, this is, I think, the wealthiest county in the country. The superintendent of Loudoun County Schools celebrated Thanksgiving with a message to families. Here's what he wrote. Loudoun County Superintendent Aaron Spence, quote, many families will celebrate Thanksgiving. Amid this busyness, I hope you and your loved ones find time during the Thanksgiving break, regardless of whether you celebrate this holiday or not, to share your gratitude. Come again? Thanksgiving now is a sectarian, controversial holiday only celebrated by some American citizens? What? I I would get it if he said, let's say we're a, a... Jewish holiday. And the Loudoun County superintendent says, hey, to all the people who celebrate, uh, you know, happy Jewish holiday. I know that a lot of you are not Jewish and therefore don't celebrate. So I want to just tell the people who do celebrate, you know, have a good time. And for the people who don't, you know, uh, ignore this message. That would make sense because relatively few people celebrate the Jewish holidays. I, I even I sort of get it with Christian holidays. I don't really, because America was founded as a Christian nation quite explicitly and has been practically a Christian nation for all of our history until very, very recently. But even then, I could understand, you know, hey, Merry Christmas and um, 
Even if you don't celebrate, I hope you have a good time too. Okay, I sort of, you know, if you're Muslim or Jewish or whatever, atheist or something, okay. I, I almost get that. I still think it's a Christian nation. We should have public celebrations of the religion that animates our entire civilization. But okay, I sort of get that. But hold on. Thanksgiving is a is a national civil holiday. It's a holiday that celebrates the country. You're telling me that there are people in our country right now who refuse to celebrate the country? The, the founding of the country, give a little thanks. We say, oh, it's nice. Thank you to our, for our country, to our forebears who settled the country and ultimately to God for all of his blessings. You're telling me there's people in this country who don't celebrate that? Well, that's a problem to me. If you're here and you hate the country and you don't celebrate it, you should leave. At the very least, at the very least, you should not be acknowledged by a public official, well, superintendent, a superintendent of a school district. Hey, if you like America or if you hate America and you wish death to America, listen, whatever it is, I hope you have a great time. No, if you wish death to America, you should go away. We don't want you here. Go, go get, get out. But whose fault is it? This is what makes the story most ironic. It is the responsibility of schools to inculcate civic virtue, to inculcate patriotism, to inculcate that, that love of country and, and that attitude of gratitude for your country. The fact that this man is admitting there are people who don't celebrate Thanksgiving is an admission of his own failure. And we know that Loudoun County Schools has failed quite a lot. We know that the office of the Loudoun County Superintendent has pushed radical transgender policies in the bathrooms that led to rapes that then the office of the superintendent covered up in Loudoun County. After the story broke, Daily Wire broke that story, that led to Glenn Youngkin getting elected in Virginia. Okay, we know that something is rotten in Loudoun County. But even I am somewhat surprised at this naked admission of a philosophical rot so deep that they say, yeah, we're not educating your students at all in the most basic things. Sometimes people think that the most basic point of education is to teach, of public education, is to teach kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's not true. You should do that. That's what public education certainly should entail. But the point of public education, this has been understood going back to the ancient Greeks, going back to Plato all the way up to the present, is to create a good citizenry that is capable of conducting itself in within the regime under which it lives. That's the point of public education. This guy says, yeah, I blew it. Though it wasn't an accidental blowing it. Well, let's not forget, these radicals in education for the last 50 years have been trying to undermine the country. That's been the point. And I guess, that, so they've succeeded at that. They've succeeded at gutting an essential aspect of a country, especially of a republic. Now, speaking of Thanksgiving weekend and controversies, a major controversy that cropped up that creates a problem for conservatives. And the controversy was this. Dolly Parton showed up to some football game and she was dressed like a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and she was wearing her, you know, short shorts and her highly cropped shirt and she did a performance. And Dolly Parton is 77 years old. And if you look at it, she looks, she looks good. But 
I don't think anyone says Dolly looks bad. They might say she. It, it, this is disordered because Dolly Parton is 77 years old. 77-year-olds should not be dressed like this. They should not be dancing like this. And so that's disordered. But also Dolly Parton is a kind of beloved figure. Even conservatives love Dolly. She's not one of these radical leftists. She's sort of, So what, what are we, conservatives, concerned with order and propriety and etiquette and you know, gracefully aging and family values. And what are we to think about Dolly's performance? Here's my take. Dolly Parton is a unique case exempted from all rules of etiquette. And that's that. I am not denying that 77-year-old women should not dress like that. I am not denying family values and proper aesthetic sensibilities and the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'm not denying any of those things. I am not being hypocritical, I think, by making an exception for Dolly Parton. In fact, I think I'm articulating a much more conservative point, which is that exceptions prove rules and rules have exceptions. That's the way it works. This is true in politics and philosophy and theology. Modern libs want everything to be really clear and have really clinical regimented rules so that you can understand the universe in five bullet point manifestos on the back of a napkin. Nope, that's not how it works. And Dolly Parton, one of the other great contributions, among many that she's made to this country, she's proven that point. It is completely unacceptable for a 77-year-old woman to do this. It is, it is wrong. It is disordered, it, except for Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton, she just, she gets to break the rules. That's how it goes. My favorite comment on Friday is from Theo Lombardi. Theo Lombardi, who writes, I saw you, Michael, I'm assuming, flying home for Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great time with your family. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you, uh, you should have come up and said hello. Though I appreciate, I do appreciate it sometimes if I'm with my family. Sometimes people don't want to come, you know, chat. But I, you know, I always love chatting. So uh, anyway, that's really great. You you might have seen me. I don't know which airport you saw me at. I, I did fly out of LaGuardia, and I want to say, if you happen to be flying out of the Southwest Terminal at LaGuardia anytime soon, you're so lucky. The Southwest Terminal at LaGuardia deserves a Michelin star. The food in that terminal, look, there's a beautiful water display, a light display. It's really comfortable when you're sitting with your screaming kids. And the food, I had a pastrami sandwich, just a simple pastrami rye bread mustard from Junior's. It was excellent. They had a Junior's right there. Then I had some stromboli. That Oh man, the stromboli, absolutely fabulous. Then there was all this other stuff. Hill Country Barbecue was there. It was, Wow. It was a great experience, so I hope you enjoyed that same experience that I did. Speaking of female singers, an AI robot singer has taken the world by storm. This is a person, this is a character created by AI who then wrote a song. You know, the computer wrote a song, and then the computer sang the song, and the computer talked about the song. Here she is. Hello, world. My name is Anna Indiana, and I'm so excited to share my music with you. Here's my first song, Betrayed by This Town. As an AI singer-songwriter, everything from the key, tempo, chord progression, melody notes, rhythm, lyrics, and my image and singing 
is auto-generated using AI. I hope you like it. Sitting at my favorite cafe, sipping my tea, it's Saturday. Thinking about all he's done to everyone. This town is full of broken dreams, shattered hopes and silent screams. Somebody please help me. The trade by this town Let's tear it all down We're all just destined to fall I've lost it all Everyone's freaking out The, the libs, you know the libs Anytime there's anything new They say, oh, this is so exciting Oh, I love this new thing Even if it'll destroy civilization, that's great and the conservatives, you know what the conservatives is going to destroy the where the West has fallen, everything's gone to pot. Okay. For starters, I can't wait. I, you're looking at this now. If you're watching this, you're going to say, well, the graphics aren't perfect. The mouth movements aren't quite right. She still looks kind of like a little bit like a cartoon. Yeah, that's true. But don't worry. Six months from now, this thing is going to be perfect. Think about this. When the AI imaging tools came out, was it six months ago? A year ago at most? They couldn't do hands. They couldn't figure out how many fingers were on our hands. And now all of a sudden, they can do this. So the, the AI is improving at a shockingly fast rate. So they'll fix all that stuff soon. And then for me, I think, look, I spend a lot of my time. I read the news. Then I, I interpret the news. I think, okay, what, what does this what does this new story really mean? And then I reference, you know, some ancient philosophy maybe or some some medieval historical event and I draw a parallel. And then I, I say, okay, this is how I should think about this new story. And then I write it down in a script that I have to send to Mr. Davies and Professor Jacob and Producer Danny. And then we pull clips and then I have to send, then they pull all the clips. And then I come in here and I sit here every morning for like an hour and I do it, you know, and I, and I, I, I say what I think about it and I, gesticulate and I, I uh, have different intonation and, and I change my cadence and I'm not going to have to do any of that. I'm not going to have to do any of that because a, a computer robot clone is going to do all of that for me and then I can move on to my true passion, which is selling quality cigars at competitive prices, okay? That is great. I can't, I look forward to that. That'll be wonderful. But my, I guess my only fear is this. That's the best case scenario. I would still probably keep doing my show. You know, I still think I can outfox the computer probably, at least for a little bit longer. But like the libs, the lib news presenters who just read this, the talking points that they get in their emails, the MSNBC people, the CNN people who you, you can play all their shows back to back. They all say the exact same thing in the exact same wording. It's AI should take their jobs. That's just creating efficiency in the market. My fear, here's where I'll flip to the conservative side and talk about how the West has fallen, is the primary application for this stuff is not going to be music. It's not going to be political news shows and commentary and lectures, and it's not going to be any of that. You know what it's going to be. The primary application for this technology is going to be, three words, weird sex stuff. We all know it. The moment that they perfect this thing and the moment that they perfect the sex robots, and you know that's coming, the human race is going to cease to exist because 
a ton of, it's not even, it's going to be weirdos by definition, but it's going to be a lot of people who otherwise would not have become weirdos, but they're going to be lured in by this. They're going to, they're going to use this new technology so differently from the way that people are using pornography now that it's going to be similar to the distinction between a playboy in the 1970s and internet pornography of the last 20 years. It's going to be so tempting because it's go- the thing is going to read your mind. It's going to construct an, an image of a person that's exactly to whatever preferences you have, and it's going to construct the language model and all the other stuff, and then they're going to have sex robots, and then no one's going to get married anymore, and no one's going to have kids, and we're all going to go extinct. And that's unfortunate. It's too bad. But speaking of babies and the future of humanity, we have a little bit of good news here, which is that 32,000 more babies were born each year for the last couple of years thanks to the Dobbs decision thanks to the overruling of Roe v. Wade and the subsequent abortion bans in various states. 32,000 more babies per year. This is because of the state abortion bans, according to the Institute of Labor Economics. An average of 2.3% more babies were born in states with abortion bans compared to states without abortion bans. Uh, The group that saw the largest increase in births were women in their 20s, black women, and Hispanic women. So that's a funny little line, you know, if, if the libs complain about this. You, you can point out, oh, you're complaining that more black babies are being born. You don't want all those black. You want to get rid of those black babies and you want to kill them because you don't want them to be walking around, right? Because you don't like the black people. And then they'll, you know, it probably won't work. It's similar to the Democrats or the real racists line. They, they kind of just shirk it off. But it's a, a funny line in any case. There's a downside here. The downside is the number of abortions has remained about the same. The number of abortions is actually up slightly, according to some measures. And that's because of of one new clinics opening, new abortion clinics, you know, infanticide factories in the, the pro-abortion states. It's also because of the shift in technology. Most abortions now are, are done with abortion pills. So that increase probably would have happened anyway, probably at a higher rate. Um, so we got we to deal with the abortion pills issue. But what does this tell us? It tells us two things. My buddy, one of the great Twitter accounts, Eudaimonia, pointed out that it, what this shows you is that people were using abortion as contraception. Because with an abortion ban, you'd expect that number of new babies born to be much, much higher. But what the studies have concluded is that some people who otherwise would have become pregnant and then had abortions in states where abortions were illegal, they just used other contraceptive methods to prevent them getting pregnant in the first place. So even though we were told for years that under no circumstances are people using abortion as contraception, that obviously they were doing that. And in fact, we, I think we all know people who have done that. Uh, But furthermore, what this tells you, and this is much more important, is the law is a teacher. Politics is downstream of culture. Sure, that's true. There's there's a lot of truth to that. It is at least as true to say that culture is downstream of politics and the law is a teacher. And when you change the laws, that creates incentives and disincentives and creates uh, new kinds of behavior. And that's not just an an abstract academic concept. There are 32,000 human beings, people, born every year. So Two years now, we're talking 64,000 human beings so far who one day will look up and be able to say, I am alive today because of the courage of five justices on the Supreme Court to overrule Roe v. Wade. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. (laughs) Bye.